Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I'm excited to be joined today by Bill Guerrero, who is Vice President for Finance and Administration at Ithaca College. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate the opportunity. 2020 has given us all a run for our money, I think. But Bill, if you could go back to this time last year and maybe teach yourself one thing that might have come in handy, what might that thing be? I would tell you, I mean, obviously none of us predicted this, but, uh, you know, the pandemic or a crisis, uh, I I would say just reveals a lot. Um, It certainly revealed that you could do a lot of work remotely. And uh, we have realized uh, you can be really efficient. You can be really effective, uh, but it becomes almost too much with the constant uh, Zoom Zoom meetings. So I, I would say one of the quick ones is uh, schedule your meetings forty five to fifty minutes. Don't schedule them for a full hour. You know everybody needs that break between uh, meetings. You you can't function um, with back to back to back Zoom meetings. That's a good tip. Yeah, so that'd be one. Um, it seems really obvious, but it's really tough to do. The the other thing I would say, what the, the crisis has um, revealed is that it, it reinforces the strength of your relationships that you have with all of your campus constituents. Um, you know, so if you didn't have a strong relationship prior, uh, it makes it really, really hard to maintain those. And, uh, and then if you did have strong relationships, uh, you have to work really, really hard. Um, to uh, to maintain those, and so you know, Zoom is really tough to to keep that because it's tough. You know, people are off uh, off video, or even if you're on video, it's tough to really verify eye contact and stuff like that. So, um, I would just be really, really intentional in your meetings with your relationships. You know, within your division, outside your division. You know, especially in these tough times. And so that's uh, you know, when we go back to you know, hopefully some level of normalcy. You know, that, that's a lesson that uh, everybody should really, really understand is the importance of relationship and investing time into your people. What would you say, in the, just in the last couple of months alone, what's one noticeable way you've changed the way that you lead as a CBO outside of booking meetings for 50 minutes, which is a tip I love? <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you, when you think about the CBO role, uh, you know, everyone, you know, describes it as, you know, obviously the CFO and, uh, it's all about, uh, your, let's say, your operating margin, you know, how your financial performances are doing. I would say one of the biggest changes that uh, you've noticed, I've noticed certainly as I lead is um, you become more of a treasurer. I mean, your job is more of a treasurer. And I, I, I describe it as, uh, you know, when crisis management or March hit, you become more of a treasurer. I focus, I, I change from crisis management to cash management. And so, you know, it's not just uh, doing all the scenario planning that exists out there, um, you know, with your operating margins. It's now scenario planning with your cash flow, looking at your balance sheet, looking at your liquidity, you know, to ensure that you're resilient. 
So that's one. And, and, you know, how do you change that is just, you know, you're changing the narrative uh, within your community um, from your board of trustees to uh, your senior leadership team. Um, and throughout the community, um, you, you, you change that narrative. Um, so it's really, really important that, uh, you know, cash is really critical, certainly in these times. And the other thing I would say is um, I, I, I see, uh, you know, it's interesting. Higher ed has been really, it, it's always been a, a good community where CBOs certainly are out there to help each other. No doubt it's a competitive environment with a variety of schools, especially, you know, with the same academic programs or in the same regions. But I would say overall, uh, CBOs really work hard on um, partnering. Um, And so I would say the the leadership on shared services, uh, I think that's one of the kind of really exciting things that I've seen is uh, schools are more and more open to that. And so to be able to lead at that, that area. Um, you know, we, we have some really exciting uh, stuff, certainly in, in my area, you know, working with one of the SUNY schools, uh, SUNY Portland, working with an Ivy League, which is Cornell, uh, in our school and where we're sharing services. And that's kind of unheard of years ago to think of three completely different institutions um, saying, let's work together on uh, some projects. So I, I think that's really, really impressive. And then, uh, you know, you're part of multiple consortiums. Um, you know, in your region where you can try to sh- share services on a variety of uh, functions that uh, people wouldn't even realize. So I, I think leading in those initiatives um, on, uh, you know, from a cash management or treasury function, you know, changing that narrative and then sharing, uh, then getting into shared services and kind of leading that are two big ones that I would say, you know, certainly in the last few months have risen to the top. I'd love to hear a little bit more about those shared services, Bill. How did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, everybody is, uh, you know, is working hard, you know, trying to, uh, you know, to be resilient. Uh, everyone's looking at their business continuity within their institution. So everyone's kind of open about it. And it's like, how, how can we save operational dollars? to help each other. And, uh, and so those kind of conversations lead to, you know, again, almost back to the beginning of this, uh, the podcast is it's about relationships, having good relationships with your peers um, at all levels. And, uh, you know, having that conversation, you say, you just raise the, the question like, hey, what can we do together? Or have you ever worked on this project? Ideas just uh, continue to be raised and you just jump into it. And so, for an example, the, the one that I referenced in particular is uh, is on dining services, you know, and uh, you, you would think dining services is a competitive area, um, you know, it's student focused, um, but there's a lot of behind the scenes areas where, um, you know, we all buy the food, frankly, from a lot of the same places, you know, the same farms, uh, the same what's called broadliners. And uh, if you could work together on that, you can get economy of scale. Um, you know, with that. And then, you know, there's other areas that may not be as um, as exciting, but it could be, let's say, on risk management. So let's say you share services on your insurance. Um, it could be on auto insurance, could be on cybersecurity insurance. Um, you know, so the, the, um, the areas are really, really broad on how you can um, support each other and uh, get the economy of scale as overall higher ed's getting smaller, um, you know, when you look at the demographics and so forth. So, we just really try to help each other. You know, I think that's the open line of communication. 
um, and uh, really the willingness in this community. I'd love to shift gears um, just a little bit and talk about the next generation of higher ed leadership, which pre-pandemic had been a huge issue. But can you talk a little bit about how you think current CBOs can best develop that next generation of higher education leadership? And I think um, particularly over the past six months or so, um, there's been an increased demand and desire to diversify the field, which is um, something that I imagine you're faced with often. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's critical. I mean, you, you probably know better than I do. I mean, certainly there's there's going to be a, uh, a a large amount of retirements in our industry. Certainly at the the high level component. You know, it's it, these are uh, tough jobs, and so you know, how do you um, continue to attract, retain? Um, talent, um, especially in a uh, career path such as a CBO, and then you know really trying to figure out how do you diversify um, that leadership role. And so you know, I, I would say is uh, you know a couple things is you know I, I was really really um, happy to be part of uh, you know one of the Nakubo panels on uh, you know addressing you know let's say racial tension on college campuses and just being you know blessed to be on that panel of a diverse you know group of leaders within the C- within CBO and then being part of let's say the uh, you know the advisory committee on leaders of color I mean those are things that Nakubo is doing and uh, you know each respective campus is doing um, in, in in their own way but overall we all need to do a better job I need to do a better job. Um, you know, Nakubo's done a, a good job in really raising that to the forefront of the industry. But I, I would say, w- when I listen to a lot of the uh, uh, of the Nakubo, you know, uh, CBO speaks podcasts, it's always interesting to see where these professionals come from, and a lot of them come from um, outside the industry. And so, I'm a first generation college student. Uh, I came from outside the industry. I mean, I started in higher ed back in 1999. And uh, I worked in, uh, you know, in banking, in structured finance. You know, if it wasn't for, uh, you know, one of my mentors, uh, you know, saying, hey, you need to work in higher ed, you're a student-focused entrepreneurial MBA, I think you'd be great uh, working in higher ed. And I never thought of it as an idea. And, uh, you know, I've been blessed, you know, with a 21-year career um, in leadership roles um, in higher ed. And, uh, you know, when I think that we're trying, as we try to um uh, diversify uh, the, the the talent pool um, in all aspects. You know, I would just look at alternative channels. You know, look at look in your classroom, um, look at your business school, um, look at your student workers. Um, there's there's many many opportunities there where there's budding accounting majors, finance majors. It's really really important. I mean, certainly the professional associations and networking. You know, when you go to a, you know it's 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 challenging now, but when you go to trade shows. It's great to um, or conferences. It's great to meet a lot of different people and see uh, young professionals. Uh, but your alumni are great sources, and then, frankly, your colleagues, your colleagues on campus. Um, there's other areas on campus. I mean, this job is so diverse. Um, it doesn't have to just generally be a finance person to ascend into a CBO role. Uh, you can really find, um, you know, people with uh, broad uh, or or large breadth of experiences and. And the last thing I would say within your community, I mean, we have, um, you know, Ithaca, it's a, um, it's a, it's a great, great college town. Um, certainly have some great institutions, not, not that far, um, you know, from us. Obviously, I mentioned Cornell and, and SUNY Cortland and uh, TC3 or Tompkins uh, Cortland Community College. 
Uh, so you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, certain talent there, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a small, uh, a small rural area. And so to get someone to move here um, is really difficult. And so you might have to look at outside the industry of your higher ed. And so I, I, I think, you know, you may find some good talent, uh, let's say in your rotary clubs, your chamber of commerce, uh, your economic development boards. Uh, there might be some real good talent um, there that you can pull in to help diversify your leadership roles from uh, either the, uh, you know, entry level up to, up to my level. I mean, you know, that's how I got here um, in higher ed. And so I think those are some really good um, lessons to learn um, as opposed to just going really just traditional and uh, the same areas. So that, that is, um, it's a challenge for all of us. And not just as a CBO. I mean, we have challenges in the, um, in the IT area, IT space, same way. Um, and we really try to look at diverse ways um, to attract good employees for our future. Let's talk now not only to our CBO listeners, but also to any listeners who might be considering a CBO role as their next career move. Bill, what would you say are the top three skills or attributes that are most critical for CBOs today um, in the higher ed landscape? And I would just tack on um, knowing what you know now uh, after the pandemic as well. <laughs> what are the pandemic-ready skills you need to have to be a CBO today? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I think I've been really successful, um, in, in my roles, not just because the reference skills, you know, being from your finance background, your accounting background, your treasury background. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the three skills that are really, really important outside of uh, the reference skills that I, I mentioned, I mean, you need to have these skills. Um, it, it's important to know what you know and what you don't know, you know, when you, when you ascend to a CBO. So breadth of experience is really key. But I, I think one thing is that you, you need to have humility. You need to have humility and be aware of what you actually don't know. And it's okay as a CBO if you don't know everything. Um, so I would say that that's one that, uh, you know, I see out there. And, uh, you know, so that's really key. But ultimately, I would say my, my top three skills uh, I mean, as you probably know, there's a soft skills gap and soft skills um, are really, really key, especially during a pandemic, um, as you mentioned, and uh, certainly we talked about in the very beginning. You know, what's interesting, my undergraduate degree is uh, is actually communications. I had uh, I had hair for TV. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's, uh, and so uh, that was my, you know, as a, you know, it's tough, you know, 17 year olds don't know what they really, really want to do. Um, I was going to go into uh, TV broadcasting, uh, you know, as a student athlete, uh, the, all those kind of things. It was like, oh, okay, that'd be great. I'll go become a, a you know, a, a sports broadcaster when I graduate. And you don't, you don't know much as a 17 year old, contrary to popular belief. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I learned, uh, I mean, I was a, I was a pretty good student and uh, certainly in math skills and uh, ultimately taking business schools, business classes and becoming really good at that. But I would tell you the foundation. And when I say the, you know, my three soft skills, I, I would say communication skills are really, really key. I've done more and more presentations, you know, at every stakeholder level than I have, I can imagine in the past year during this pandemic. And I think that's really, really important. Um, you're investing a lot of time into it, but it's really key because people are nervous. People are really nervous about uh, the pandemic, um, what's going to happen with their health and safety, what's going to happen with their jobs, 
Um, so I think communication skills, audience-based presentations um, allows you to, uh, uh, to build trust, build trust through uh, consistency of transparent information. So I would say communication skills is one. Second is accessibility. And I know it's, it's hard when you say accessibility um, because we're in a pandemic and the majority of us are working remotely in some version or another. But you got to be accessible. So if that does mean odd hours, odd times, or jumping in a meeting um, on Zoom with your teams, not just your, let's say, your direct reports or your leadership team, but I would say with the masses, you know, I try to do that as much as possible to get the pulse of the community um, because you, you need to uh, you need to be out there as a leader of your institution. So you're not just a, uh, a CFO that sits behind a spreadsheet um, and then is just looking at the dollars. Uh, you got to be out there for your folks because uh, they're the ones that are doing the hard work, you know, the essential and non-essential workers that are doing the hard work. So so communication skills, accessibility, and then ultimately empathy. We, we all we all are dealing with uh, the pandemic differently. Um, there's not a there has not been a uh, a playbook <laughs> on how to manage a, uh, the, the, this pandemic. Um, every school is doing it differently, um, and every uh, person that works at your institution or goes to school at your institution or is connected to your institution is managing the crisis differently. They respond to it differently. Uh, they absorb it differently. And uh, so when I think of, uh, you know, my role as a CFO, uh, that empathetic side of it is, you know, I, I think of my background, um, you know, it, it, I've done so many different things. Uh, I, you know, I've been a baseball coach for 13 years at the collegiate level. I've been in the classroom for over 13 years. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, let's say a co-chair of our professional staff, you know, a professional staff council. And so, um, you're connected to the community on those very variety of functions. So you're able to build empathy, um, you know, with your faculty, with your staff, with your students, um, you know, your alums, because we're all dealing with it differently. And uh, so if you can, you know, it's hard to be in other people's shoes, but if you have, to, if you have some perspective in those areas, um, you could be a much greater or better CBO. And uh, I, that's been really helpful for me. So, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, I think of communication skills, uh, accessibility, and empathy are probably the biggest ones that I would address outside the reference financial skills and uh, functional unit skills that uh, all of us um, as CPOs have. I love it. And had I known you had been a collegiate baseball coach, we would have started there because that would have been an interesting <laughs> start to our podcast today. Okay, Bill, now the most... Um, anticipated question of the show. Thinking back on your career, would you tell us what you consider to be your most fabulous failure or maybe just something you had to learn the hard way as you think back over your time in higher ed? Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's obviously many, Um, but one of the things I would tell you, it's, it's interesting. I mean, just like, you know, ritually when there's a new CBO speaks podcast, uh, you know, I listen to it. I drive a lot. So it's, uh, you know, it's comforting. Um, You know, sometimes it's kind of just, uh, emotional support when I listen to uh, these podcasts with my peers because we're all trying to figure things out. You know, but when I think about, uh, you know, number one, when, when this question comes up, it's, it is actually my favorite question. Of um, course. What the podcast uh, I subscribe to is, uh, is called Spectacular Failures. Mm. And uh, I, I think, you know, it's almost cliche at times. It's like there's a lot to learn about failures, um, you know, and you don't want to put a crisis or a failure to waste. And uh, because there's so much learning in that. 
And I, I agree with that um, um, wholeheartedly. That's, you know, I enjoy that when I teach my entrepreneurship classes um, because there's a lot of that in there. And uh, so that's one podcast I would tell you. Spectacular Failures is, is a great Perfect. one to, to check yeah, it out. I mean, I mean it's, it's great. I mean, one is, um, you know, we're in the pandemic and, you know, sometimes you don't even want to go to the grocery store. The most recent one in, you know, probably going off, off I'll say script here, but uh, you do those meal kits and you, you, you try to do those meal kits and say like, okay, I don't feel like cooking. I don't want to go to the grocery store. And, you know, my family, we used to use Blue Apron and uh, Blue Apron was a great business. And then it all of a sudden disappeared. And then it became one of the, uh, one of the episodes on uh, Spectacular Failure. <laughs> really? So, anyway, it was kind of neat to see. Um, but I would say like, I, you know, I have, uh, you know, when I think of failures, I mean, again, there's so many. <laughs> you know, we're definitely not perfect. I'm not perfect. But, um, you know, one is, I'll just say, like when I mentioned earlier on just presentations, and I really, really try to work hard on audience-based presentations um, because I don't ex- expect everyone to understand financials uh, in the depth of them. Uh, and we can get really, really complicated and boring about the financials. But I'll, I'll give you one. I got two of them. I, I would say that just popped in my head. But one is in my presentations, I use I use this term, but you probably everybody knows the term called mind the gap. You know, when I you know, when you when you hear that cliche, it's like mind the gap, you know, you, you see them when you're let's say you're walking to the train station or jumping on a subway or walking up the stairs. And it means like don't trip and fall. And so it's used in a variety of industries is like, you know, you don't want your industry to trip and fall, so you mind the gap. So I uh, took some editorial rights and called and made mine, M-I-N-E, the gap, you know, meaning we're all trying to find resources, you know, to cover our budget, to fill our budget. And uh, I have such great, great rapport with our, uh, our former dean of school of business. And the guy is great. And this just really used to bug him so much. He's like, Bill, that is not the, the phrase. That is not <laughs> and so we would have good rapport, good banter on it. You know, ultimately, I acquiesced in it. And, uh, you know, cause I would use it in all different presentations. And he's like, Bill, you need to stop that. And I, I get it. You know, it was, you know, let's say in one sense, it's a failure of uh, trying to connect with your audience because then it also maybe may affect your credibility um, in that. So that was one. I mean, it's obviously, you know, kind of low, low hanging. But uh, I, I would say one of the other recent, you know, failures I had was, um, you know, going back to kind of the treasury role. Back in February, I thought I was presenting to the board of trustees a pretty straightforward project on refinancing a bond. Um, it would, you know, the, the interest rates were really, really low. Um, you know, certainly for all our industry, all our CBOs are looking at this opportunity to save cash. For, for our campuses. And uh, I was ready to present uh, just a, you know, really kind of perfunctory presentation on, um, on uh, hey, we're, let's refinance. You know, we're going to save 200 basis points. We're going to save a significant amount of cash um, over the next uh, six years and we'll help the institution. And this is all pre-pandemic. And, uh, you know, so I thought it was really, really straightforward, pretty simple. And our board is pretty large. Um, let's say it's 30 people. The feedback was not as exciting as I thought. It, they, they weren't as excited as I was. I thought it was a slam dunk. And I would just tell you, it did not get approved immediately. Like I needed to do more homework to present it in a different way, a better way. And uh, initially it was, uh, you know, I call it a, a failure of uh, lack of understanding your audience, um, understanding um, how do you present, um, let's say, sophisticated financials. And you don't assume anything. 
And um, we were up, ultimately, uh, I was able to close it in May. And those three-month gaps of just working with your stakeholders, working with your audience, the importance of it, um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was definitely a really good lesson learned for someone that is very, very intentional on being um, you know, audience-based. But uh, that was an example where I was like, how did that not work out? How did I fail on uh, not communicating to my board something really, really simple of refinancing a bond where we can save money? I mean, it sounds simple. Um, but it wasn't that simple. And, uh, you know, you made it, you know, you know, basically I, I, I made it either too complicated, um, for the audience to understand the impact and, uh, you know, it caused, um, you know, many more questions and it required it to be paused and more research done. And so and you, you, as a CBO, you have to be resilient to some of these. Um, and, uh, you know, I look at that as a, you know, really good moment in my career in how I continue to work hard with, uh, with, with uh, your stakeholders um, to make sure that things are understood before you get to, uh, let's say, the big decision point. You have to do your homework beforehand. So that's uh, my, my uh, you know, two good failures for you. Those are good ones. Thank you. So thank you, Bill, for that. And thank you so, so much for sharing just a few of your insights and experience with our audience today. It's been fantastic. No, thank you for the opportunity. It was really fun. You can find out more about Bill in today's episode by visiting the education section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Bill and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Mm-hmm.